0: Hi and welcome. I'm Jessica Minhas. I'm the founder and CEO of Algo First. We are a nonprofit organization passionate about cultivating courage and supporting you on your journey of finding purpose. Joy is contagious, and that could not be more true of Kayla Perkins. Caleb is the founder of Remedy Network, a nonprofit organization that supports millennials in finding their purpose. In this episode, Caleb shares with us how he's cultivated his purpose, his mental health journey, and how purpose can evolve over time. And now please help me welcome Caleb. I'm here with J. Caleb Perkins. So nice to have you today. Caleb Perkins is the founder of Remedy Network, and he is also an entrepreneur. He's also really passionate about millennials finding their purpose and their passions. I would say that you are passionate about this because, and I also agree that if we can find our passions and our purpose, the world generally will be a much better place if we're all living in our lane.
1: Yes. Thank you for having me today. Super excited to be here.
0: I give you a little bit of intro, but can you Tell everyone kind of what you do and why you're passionate about it.
1: You hit it on the head, yeah. So, Remedy Network founded it 2014. It and, a little and what do you guys do? We create spaces of creativity, diversity, and civic action. We're a civically oriented nonprofit, and we're passionate about millennials finding their purpose.
0: Millennials finding their purpose. Isn't there like a negative connotation when it comes to millennials?
1: I think so. Um, In our world, I mean, there's been countless research that, you know, millennials are constantly on their phones, that they're not, you know, doing well at work, that they're they don't do well under leadership. I mean, there's there's so much out there about millennials and how we are not paying attention or how we the microwave generation, what have you. But I think there's something really the microwave generation. What does yeah. that mean? Just, you know, we want everything to be done fast or quickly and oh, we can't Oh, I don't wait actually or...
0: even own a microwave.
1: <laughs> hey, no, that's good. You are team health. That's amazing.
0: Yeah, that's like a whole nother conversation or what, <laughs> what do they call it? Electrical, electrical waves. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Something like I've that. Been, I yeah, saw it. But so you, are you actually a millennial?
1: I am a millennial. Yes.
0: How old are you? <laughs>
1: I'm 27. I had to think about that for oh, a second. Bless. I get confused sometimes. But. Well,
0: I'm nine years older. Let me, afterwards, <laughs> I can tell you all of the wisdom I've learned <laughs> in the Please, last nine years. I'm here
1: for this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, Caleb and I actually met because of your work. We were on a panel together yes. a few months back about mental health and sharing both of our stories. And we were also connected like a few years back through a dear friend who is in the activism community because Caleb's organization, Remedy Network, is also about
1: the power of sharing our stories. Yeah, that was super fun. I actually looked up to Jessica so much because I saw her website even before I moved no, to New York. Okay. And I'm like, yo, I really want to meet her. This is super cool.
0: Before you moved to New York? Well,
1: like as I was moving here my fault. So... Wow. And then I never heard anything until we got on this. Band. That's right. Until the panel, I'm like, "Wow, this is this is cool." But no,
0: y'all, if you ever need to get in touch with me, you might need to text me or <laughs> message me on Instagram. I guess that's what the millennials are doing now. It's right. no longer email me. It's like hit me up on Instagram. The
1: DMs, I guess. Yeah, there's too
0: many places. Too many. <laughs> so you actually moved here um, about four years ago.
1: Yeah, it'd be four years. Yeah, about three weeks ago for four years.
0: Wow! Well, anniversary.
1: Thank you. Thank to you, New York,
0: thank you. <laughs> you moved because of the Khalif border story. What happened with Khalif? What is what was the story?
1: Yeah, so Khalif Reuter was wrongfully convicted of a crime in the Bronx, and spent nearly three years on Rikers Island on solitary confinement. And um, when he was released, he. Um, tragically committed suicide not too long after that and it was for i think stealing a backpack something that he didn't do
0: wild stealing a backpack rikers island is notorious for treating their inmates very very poorly and the tragedy really is that he finally got his freedom but was not he just was not set up in the way that really gave him the ability to get back on his feet
1: right his story changed my life in more more ways than one and I just couldn't stomach it after I read it.
0: What were some of the ways that it changed your perspective?
1: For one, I think just mental health. At that time, I didn't really know much about mental health about four years ago. And until I encountered this young man's story, I was like, wow, this is this is crazy. And I had my own kind of bout with, uh, you know, a seasonal depression when i when I was reading his story, it was one of the lowest points of my life. yeah, but when I read that i I knew I had to do something. so
0: when we talk about depression, I think it feels like it's like this one instance that this just happened for like a week or so, but you mentioned seasonal right. depression. Can you explain a little bit about what that was like for you?
1: Yeah, well, I didn't really know much about you know the different types of depression and and mental illness, mental health, what have you. But I know now looking back on it, it was seasonal depression. Just, it could be trauma or a life event that happens that causes you just to kind of disconnect from your friends or family and kind of pull back. So that
0: isolation.
1: Yeah, isolation, just feeling not like yourself. And for me, it kind of felt like I was in quicksand, like I couldn't, I couldn't get up. And do the normal things that I was doing. And there were a lot of life events, too, that were happening that were adding to that as well.
0: You had just graduated from university.
1: Yes. Mm -hmm.
0: And you were deciding where to go next. Yeah. Was it that summer?
1: It was that summer.
0: That is like a hard time, graduating from university. It's crazy! I love going to school because it's so safe.
1: Right. And you know, like everything is like Everybody tells you what to do next. Just like good. And then you're like, wow, I have to pay bills. I have to, you know, pay for stuff. There's, I have to get a job. I have I, to like, figure
0: out what I'm doing with my life.
1: Yeah. And you know what was crazy to me is like the whole lunchroom epidemic. I don't know if that's a word, but it's like you come and you sit down at the lunch table with all your friends and it's cool, but you don't really have that. I had to – I literally had to learn how to just like – eat by myself and that be a thing because as a college student you're always surrounded by people so just like wow i'm sharing all these meals alone this is so weird
0: i wonder how hard that is to not internalize that experience
1: Mm. all
0: your friends are gone and like my perspective when i was coming out of university was like oh man like everybody's moved on they're already doing their stuff right they're successful in their careers and i'm just sitting here (laughs) (laughs) i don't have any furniture
1: Exactly. No, that's real. Craigslist. Craigslist. Was a good friend back then in 2015.
0: You had just finished university.
1: Yeah.
0: You were sitting by yourself, kind of re-acclimating to, or acclimating for the first time to what it means to be an adult. Yeah. I don't feel like I got the concept of adulthood until maybe a few years ago, Yo, and I'm, I'm 36. St- Yo,
1: <laughs> I'm still getting the concept of it. I mean, it's a lifelong journey. You never become, right? You're always advancing and
0: yeah, moving true. forward. When did you recognize that your experience was actually depression?
1: Ooh, that's a good question. I think I recognized it when I when it wasn't just a two-week, three-week thing, when it was rolling into like a month. I was like, wow, this is... I have to get out of this.
0: What were some? What were some of the experiences? Sometimes it's like, oh, I'm just feeling down. But what I hear you saying is like, oh, well, you were feeling down for like a month.
1: Yeah, which is not like me. And people that know me, like my friends and you, I'm a typically upbeat, optimistic person. So when my friends were around me, and they're like, okay, it's a week. You know, people have bad days. And then when it was for a while, like some of my closest friends are like. I think, have you, like, I know they were talking to each other because people would like stop by my apartment and I'm like, how did you know to come over? Like, and now when I talk to them, they're like, yeah, our our circle was like, something's not right. So we're just kind of checking in.
0: When I'm sort of depressed, I want to isolate. Yeah. And like when people come to check in, I want to feel like, oh no, I got it together. Yeah. Like, I'm good. You don't need to stop by. And then I feel like guilty <laughs> that they're taking time out of their schedule to come.
1: Yeah. I think that's a really big thing with people in our generation, like especially with men, too, like this whole pride thing and not being open. I was at a talk yesterday at the United Nations, which they were talking about some of the things that happen before people have suicidal thoughts or mental breakdowns or whatever. And one of them is shame. And I saw that on the screen and I was like, wow, our generation deals a lot with shame. And it's it's actually a big thing if it's not taken care of and it's not you know, confronted and, and having shame about what you've done or how you feel or how you treat people. It has to be eradicated. We have to deal with it and we have to start having these conversations. And what you were feeling was normal. I felt that same way too. I was like, yo, I got it. Don't bother me. Don't at me. I'm good.
0: Oh, wow. No, like, that's some insight. I didn't, really, bring me I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't even realize that was shame.
1: Neither did I. You're
0: totally on point though. That was, I felt embarrassed mm-hmm. that I needed help. Yeah. And I didn't even know where to begin. Mm -hmm. So people are coming over to your house. They're like, we need to check up on you. How did you come out of that?
1: Well, let me discuss some of the things that were happening first. So I a lot of my close friendships with at university ended and just really ended on really bad terms. Just like friend
0: breakups are rough.
1: Yep. I had about two friend breakups where at the
0: same time. I think those are even harder than romantic relationships. They
1: can be. Ending. Yeah, because, I mean, a relationship is a relationship at the end of the day. I mean, different ones, of course, a friendship is not the same as a marriage. But relationships to us are personal and they're, you know, people are close to us and you, you spend a lot of time with people and you have that relational equity built up. And when those are broken, it can be turmoil. I hated the job that I was doing.
0: What was the job?
1: I was in a sales job for a Fortune 500 company
0: sales Yeah. (laughs) yikes, I hate sales I'm just terrible
1: at it, honestly I feel like you would be a great salesperson no,
0: I'm terrible at it because
1: you're a great communicator
0: you're so nice
1: (laughs) I'm serious, I I, I wouldn't lie to you I
0: worked for Toyota for a little while really? yeah, and I was terrible at sales (laughs) but I know a lot about cars
1: (laughs) Toyota Camry, go
0: Toyota Camry, well, it's the best resale car And I actually really appreciate the Toyota Sienna, which is the van (laughs) because they have the best accessibility for wheelchairs.
1: I am always just like what don't you do you're just So an I would actually person. like cry
0: telling potential customers about how amazing the Sienna accessibility was because it made people feel like they were normal they weren't in their wheelchair the the chair comes out to the wow, side and they great. can shift onto the to the seat, and as a passenger, you're just like a regular passenger. And I was like, this is so important <laughs> for people to know about.
1: <laughs> Toyota, if you want to sponsor us, Jessica's email is jessica.auquaverse.com.
0: <laughs> so you were in sales at Fortune 500 company. That right. feels like coming out of university, you'd be like, oh, this is dope.
1: It was dope. And I was kind of feeling myself for a little bit. I bought a Mustang with 20s on it. I, I was Whoa. I had an apartment with a friend of mine, and we were living in this place called the Mansions. It was like a gated community. I wasn't really making bread like that, but it, I was comfortable.
0: But it felt like that, especially for like a twenty-one-year-old. You're at the mansion.
1: I was at the Mansions with my with my Mustang. You're
0: struggling with depression. You're in sales. You yes. just had two friend breakups. Yeah,
1: and um, my dad got extremely sick, and I got a call that. I didn't know if he was going to make it. So I had to take That's a one-way hard. flight to Atlanta, and it, it was tough. So that, too. The, the whole world was falling apart.
0: Wow. Wow. That sounds like a really challenging time. I mean, it sounds like everything was kind of disrupted.
1: Exactly. Didn't know what to do.
0: Is that when you read about the article about Khalif's passing?
1: I read about that article in the New Yorker magazine.
0: And you said in one of your interviews <laughs> something your mentor told you that kind of like a kind of lit up inside of you when you read Khalif's story.
1: Yeah, she told me uh shout out to Reverend Q English, who I love Reverend Q. Oh, you know Reverend Q. Yes. She's a legend. She is a legend. She's legendary. I mean, anti-human trafficking, ministry work. She, just, She's still... she
0: Reverend Q, she just goes for it. There are no Obstacles that she cannot overcome. Yeah. And if she can't overcome it, she will fight to the... I mean, she will duel until it yes. happens.
1: Yes. I'm so glad you know her. Yeah, she's she's amazing. she's
0: amazing. We know each other from the anti-trafficking community. Wow. So in this interview, one of the things that Reverend Q said to you with the, that was really powerful for you...
1: It, it stays with me to this day. She said, that which saddens you the most is what you're designed to solve, and that which angers you the most is what you're designed to fix. And so... My encounter with this young man's story, whom, now granted, I'm in Oklahoma, never heard about this. I wasn't in New York at this time, and I read the story, and then I think back to Reverend Q's words, and I'm like, that's it. That's something. I think we all have that encounter with something in our lives, if if we're honest with ourselves, that that changes us from the inside out, and we have to do something just like your organization. I'll go first. You know, being that first person, and we're talking about courage today, being courageous enough to step out and answer that call.
0: So when you read it, um, you, you also said in one of your interviews about how you were going around telling people about how important this issue was, and people were kind of looking at you like, what are you talking about? I sort of had this experience when I came back from Southeast Asia for the first time and learned about child trafficking uh-huh. everyone I met I was like you guys yeah <laughs> we have to change this yeah and people would kind of look at me with this
1: blank stare
0: <laughs> dating was really difficult <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, <No>. yeah.
0: <laughs> so I had to figure out how to put different language around it and what I love about Remedy Network is um, that storytelling is so vital to it so I'm just curious, when you when you had that experience of coming here to New York and talking to people about this issue, like how did that go? Like how did you get them on board?
1: Yo, It was rough. It was very grassroots starting the organization. And I made little cards on like PowerPoint, whatever it was, or, you know, Word document. And I cut them out, and I would literally hand them out at Starbucks.
0: You would hand them out at Starbucks? I would
1: hand them out. Yeah, I would hand them out on the seats at Starbucks. Wherever I was working that day, I would like hand them out and people would sit down and be like, what's this? And I'd look up like, "Yeah."
0: What, what did the card say?
1: <laughs> oh, I can't remember. Um, Something like Remedy Network, what we do, coming to one of our events. I would hand them out on the subway, went to Washington Square Park, handed them out, talked to people, NYU. I actually had a, re- a lot of great conversations. That is so A lot of so great conversations on bold. the street. Just, I have a lot of stories like that.
0: What's the best one that comes to mind? The, what's the one that was most unexpected?
1: Mm, I love this question. So I was broke and <laughs> I needed $500 to help pay my rent. This is a true story. And um, I'm a person of faith and, you know, I feel like, you know, I have a relationship with God and I feel like that day God was like, you know, I want you to believe me for $500. And so literally I woke up that day in my apartment in Flatbush, Brooklyn, and I said, today I'm going to somehow miraculously get $500. I don't know where, but I'm going to get it. And I spent – I woke up at like maybe like 7 or whatever, and that whole day I was just roaming the streets, kind of like praying, thinking. I didn't really know how I was going to do it, but I'm just like, okay.
0: What do you, wh- Is it $500. winter?
1: It was – I think it was like end of fall. End of fall. So it's also kind it's of cold a little, out. It's little cold. <laughs> and about, you know, you'd be fired up in the morning about two o'clock when lunchtime. You're like, all right. like It's cold out here. Yeah. And it, it was crazy. But that day I encountered this guy around uh, Trinity Church, around Wall Street, the historic church. Yeah. With yeah. Alexander yeah. Hamilton, blah, 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 right by the World Trade Center. And something sparked this idea that I needed to talk to this man there was this guy tall dude his name was Michael he was from Finland and he was praying in front of Trinity Church there was nobody else on the street and you know that area is like full of tourists and stuff There was this literally this one man praying and I had this inkling like that was it this I need to talk to this guy wow so I walked up to him now, I'm not going to sugarcoat this. This was not, like, a movie scene where it's like, hello, hello, I need hundred." <laughs> this was mad awkward. Like, this man is praying. He's like, what are you doing? Like, why are you talking what? to me? And But he was, like, strangely open to what I had to say.
0: Well, how did you begin that conversation?
1: I just kind of strolled up, tapped him on the back, and I'm just like, Hey, like, oh, what are you doing? Oh, I'm just praying in front of this church. Uh, You know me, Jess. I'm not afraid to talk to anybody.
0: That is 100% accurate. So,
1: like, we started to talk, and he kind of, like, what's your story? I told him about Remedy, and he just stared at me. And you know what he said? He said, I can see the love of God in your eyes.
0: This is not a typical New Yorker story. (laughs) It's
1: not. It's not. And I kind of had to check myself because there's, like, mad, random, awkward, weird people. So when he told me that, I'm like... Wow. Anything. But it seemed really genuine. So he was like, yeah, I can see the love of God in your eyes and just tell me more about this. Anyway, we ended up getting coffee like two weeks later, and he was just really interested taking notes, at this notebook. And to make a long story short, I had to take a trip to my alma mater to give a talk about the work that I was doing in New York. And I was renting a car, flew in back to Oklahoma, was driving, and then I got this email notification Um that he donated some money to our organization. And at the time, I was like really afraid to tell him how much it I was believing for. And I was really timid. And he's like, well, what do you need? What do you need? And I'm like, oh, you know, we need some prayer. And if you want to partner with and he was like, what do you need? And I was like, I need $500. Crazy. And so I'm in Tulsa. The car. I, I
0: mean, I have a hard time like asking for a second cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Exactly, yo. I Even know. when they
0: offer, man, would you like? Would you like a coffee refill? I'm like, no, 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 no. It's fine. I'm good, I'm good. In my head, I'm like, oh my gosh, I really need this caffeine. <laughs> I can't believe that you were able to get those words out of out of your mouth to make this big, brave ask.
1: I think we will surprise ourselves when we come to a moment of desperation in our lives. When we become desperate about something, you will be surprised what you'll ask the amount of faith that you'll have, you'll surprise yourself. I surprised myself. I was like, this is, i never asked people for anything. So anyway, got the email notification that Michael donated $777. I never saw him again. Wow.
0: I'm kind of like in awe of that because I think I forgot to just really step out in courage and bravery or faith.
1: Hmm. We all do. We all do. And you're one of the most courageous people. I'm not just saying this, y'all. Like, Jessica is amazing. Just amazing. And I'm super honored to be here.
0: Oh, that's so nice. And now I want to hide underneath the table because (laughs) taking compliments is really hard for me. I know. Me too. (laughs) Oh, it is for you too?
1: I mean, I'm getting better at it.
0: Like, what do you say when people – it's like, thank you so much for your – genu generosity that's not even like thank you so much for your genuineness
1: that's perfect you know what annoys me there's this continuum either people like don't receive it and that's weird if somebody says something like accept it you have those people where you're like "Oh, i love this and this like this all this is dirt like no just just it's so annoying to me when people do that so either they don't accept it or it's just like really false humility you know what i'm saying where it's like They don't accept it or they're just over the top or something. Someone taught me, I think it was an old professor, to just simply say thank you.
0: That's so true. That's so true. I run a female founders collective, which is a peer-to-peer support group for females who are in social entrepreneurship roles. And I think as a a social entrepreneur, and maybe you can speak to this as well, it's hard to feel like you have the permission to be stressed or feel bad because you're in a Mm. position of serving others Mm -hmm. and serving others who, you know, are really in a different situation than you might not have access to the same stuff. There are very amazing, accomplished women in this group. And so once um, every few months, we will go around and do what we call compliment therapy. Oh, wow. Where... Everybody in the room gives one person their full attention and really edifies them and compliments them. And that person is only permitted to say thank you and make eye contact.
1: I love that. I love that.
0: And it, it was like a great idea for me to suggest to the group. But then when they do it <laughs> <You're> <laughs> like, for me, oh, my gosh, I'm going <laughs> to hide underneath the table.
1: I know. It's awkward. I feel like we need to learn how to communicate better with each other because social media, we're always looking at a screen and – we can comment at people, but, you know, it's special when, when people do that.
0: It's kind of amazing, too, that you had this sense of going up to people and having these, like, honest, genuine conversations. In In New York, when you're walking down the street, there are a lot of people who will give you pamphlets and flyers. Oh, and, Lord. like, it can feel kind of overwhelming. So I think to be someone who's who's having this experience of wanting to be – really just connect with people and mm-hmm. make it happen – and and make this, you know, this big leap of faith
1: is impressive. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was it was a journey and I'm still learning, but it, it was fun. I mean, I think, you know, I'm sure you can speak to this too. New Yorkers are really receptive. People think New Yorkers are like really mean. Like I guess that's the thing in other states, people are like, oh, they're so mean. That's the what I've heard of the perception of people that live here. But I've learned that number one, timing. Is the biggest thing.
0: That is the issue. Because it's people timing, who come right? to New York are type A. They're overambitious. They came here because they want to achieve. And they are scheduled down to the minute. Right. So it's not that we're, like, yeah. mean. We just have a place to go. Like, exactly. We, we need to get there because we're already five, five minutes, minutes late. late. I do want to take it back a second. Sure. because what I when I was considering your organization and looking up this journey and – evolution of what you intended to come here for. Mm-hmm. You came here because you were really passionate about Khalif's story yes. and how that impacted you. Mm-hmm. And Remedy Network is really rooted in um, destigmatizing mental health and having conversations around that and also supporting millennials with their purpose. Yes, But a lot of the events and the things that we talk about now are about criminal justice reform and yeah. prison reform and incarceration and what I love about that is that you have allowed your intention to evolve mm. and your purpose to evolve and grow mm-hmm. with you.
1: Yeah, that's been quite the journey. I mean, for anyone out there listening and you're creative and you want to start something, you want to start a business or a nonprofit, people get hung up on the nonprofit, for-profit thing. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, you're starting something and you need money and you need resources, whether it's nonprofit or for-profit. I had to release and give give up my timeline for the organization and I had to say God you know if you wanted me to do this and you called me to do this I did not sign up for a timeline I I, I submit this back to you I give it to you and I have to allow it to to grow um, to matriculate it, I mean it takes time we look at these cool organizations and and companies and it, it takes time to grow and to learn what you want to do and I think now as we're approaching our, our fourth year, just looking back and for everything, just taking time to see, like, let's let's allow this to grow.
0: Yeah, so. not putting any pressure on it. Yeah. That is so wise. And I think it's really interesting to hear you talk about that because you are so passionate about purpose. And I Thank feel you. like when I thought about purpose, especially when I came here to New York, it was like one thing like this is mm-hmm. what needs to happen yeah and if it doesn't happen i've failed
1: yeah no i feel that and in the beginning it was all mental health like it was just caliph border mental health and as we evolved it was more than mental health it was more like civic getting millennials more civically engaged in their communities because whether it's prison reform or mental health or social justice or whatever you know, we can we're we're really good at getting people in the room and getting them passionate and yes, yes, let's rally la 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 but are we making change? And at the end of it, if you're not civically engaged in your community, I'm not sure if you're really making real change.
0: Oh snap.
1: I mean, <laughs> if you're not voting wow. and you're not you haven't joined your community board, I mean, you don't have to like you know, have a degree in political science or something, but I mean, Knowing the people in your community, whether that's, uh, you know, in New York, if it's your like borough president, Eric Adams is the the borough president of Brooklyn. Gail Brewer is the borough president of of Manhattan. And, you know, knowing these these people that are involved in in city and, and knowing knowing them and knowing how to. You know, get involved and be able to reach out to them or state legislators or. I think that's something important.
0: that I didn't realize until I came to New York that actually, like, our representatives are really wanting to engage with their citizens. If you're in their district, yes. they want to know you and they want to be involved with how they can support the community.
1: Yes, of course.
0: I once was so curious about this. So I did like, I was in DC for some legislation and I just was like, I had heard that you can just walk into your representative's office and say like, I'm here to have a conversation. And um, just even getting over the doorstep was scary. So that's why I'm so impressed that you have this bravery to talk to people and have these hard conversations and ask for big things. I think that I'm In that process of learning right now where, you know, I have these dreams and aspirations, but I'm too scared to ask for that second cup of coffee.
1: Yeah, no, that's real. (laughs) I think that's like the theme today. Ask for your second cup of coffee.
0: Yes. Especially
1: if you have a gold card at Starbucks and you can get free refunds. Amen.
0: (laughs) I want to talk to you about how your identity has evolved Mm. from this intention that you set, leaving Oklahoma and leaving this time of like disruption, how has your identity evolved until now? And, and taking into account like how your purpose has evolved,
1: I definitely feel like my worldview has changed. And if you move to New York, it's bound to change. I mean, the most diverse people groups live here. It's a melting pot of culture of diversity. And if your whatever you stand for is not diverse, it's not. It's not going to last, and it's not really going to reach a lot of people. And, and that's my thing. I'm really, I'm really passionate about diversity, too. And
0: representation.
1: And representation.
0: My cousin, Como Minhas, is interviewing Michelle Obama today, <laughs> which is so cool. I was listening to the interview on the walk over here, and Michelle Obama actually said she had this great quote, which is, if we want diversity, then we need to see diversity in the boardroom. We need to see it mm. at our schools. We need to see it in our media.
1: Wow. If that's what
0: we're aiming for, then we gotta do it.
1: Shout out to Michelle Obama. She's amazing. And Barack Obama.
0: Amazing.
1: Legends. I wanna meet them. Can your cousin like send them my email or I you
0: know what's so amazing about my cousin? Is <laughs> she is so brave and courageous. Wow. She will ask for that second cup of coffee, that third one, that fourth one, that fifth one. Wow. <laughs> She'll ask for the whole pie.
1: <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I need to learn from her. I know. Me too. So I, I do feel like my, my worldview has evolved. Just dealing with people on a regular basis and just walking our city, I mean, I'm sure you can speak to this as well, just on the subway. The subway is one of the most interesting places because you have, you have someone, and I remember I was at a meeting with the mayor of New York City, and we were—it tr- was all about the prices of the subway, like the fare. And you can have someone who is displaced or is poor and, and doesn't really can't pay that two fifty, two seventy five, whatever it is now. And then you have the same person on that same cart who is a multimillionaire and paying that same amount. And it's just this this small little enclosed cart of just different levels of of class. And it's it's interesting because it changes the way you think. It changes if you allow it to. It will change the way that you see people, the way you do business, the way you see the world. And you'll want to reach more people and you'll want to affect more change. And so that definitely has changed. I mean, I grew up in Michigan, Detroit, Michigan. And so it was a large, large city that's been through a lot and is on the come up and they're doing amazing things now. And shout out to Detroit. I feel like I didn't grow up in like a a corner. I I feel like I was always introduced to culture and my family was always passionate. And I think this had a, a, a huge part to play in the work that I do now is diversity was always something really big in my family.
0: When I hear you talking about this, I just think about your family and the friends you grew up with in Detroit. And I wonder how you feel their perception of you. Does it match up with your perception of
1: yourself? Their perception of me, I don't know what their perception of me <laughs> would be. <laughs> I, I don't really think much about what people think about me. Good for you. I you think most of these
0: questions I'm asking because I'm like, oh, Caleb is so joyful. He's so generous. He is so gregarious. Like, Thank I want to be you. like Caleb. Oh, wow. What are your really tips to, <laughs> to give us? Because I struggle with like definitely perception. I think it's like um, both and like I struggle with feeling insecure and intimidated. And then I struggle with. You know, when people do encourage me or identify me, I feel like I don't deserve it. I think that ties in so much to purpose because I know that for myself, I can limit myself because Mm -hmm. of my self-perception.
1: Yeah. Actually, like what you just said not too long ago is just having the freedom and and having the permission to be human was something that I had to learn. Because I mean, people tell me that all the time, like, oh, you're so optimistic. You're so cool. You're so upbeat. And so when I had a down moment, it was like volcano erupting, like people didn't understand and now my my close circle i've really learned the dynamics of relationship and friendship the older that i get so my close circle and i think you know we've been talking a lot about relationships today it 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 has a lot to do with what we do you know and and you need people who will sit down with you and they don't care, they don't care what you do they care more about you as a person and i think you need those people surrounding you who they will congratulate you and say, wow, that's really cool. This is great what you're doing, but that's not like while they're friends with you. Having those people in my life has been amazing, who I can be super honest with. I can tell anything to. And of course you need, you can't do that with everyone. and There are different levels to that. People, my small group with church and just people that I do life with collectively on a daily basis have really shaped what I do just with remedy or writing or you know, whatever it is.
0: I feel like that's so neat to hear because when we think about leadership, you know, it really does take a community to raise a leader. And having like a good sounding board is not just about people who are doing the same thing that you're doing, but people Mm -hmm. who can really like genuinely encourage you from a place of abundance.
1: Yeah. And connection. Like, I feel like some people are always constantly in like competition with each other. The main people that you feel like you're competing with are probably nine times out of 10, the very people that you should probably be connecting with that can help you and help push you forward. Like a lot of my pride has died. I mean, I'm not like not saying I'm not prideful anymore. I still struggle with that on a daily basis. But moving here, I mean, partnership is so powerful. Partnership, being able to partner with people and a lot of entrepreneurs will ask me or people that want to start businesses will will ask me about that. And one thing one of my one of my mentors said when I was starting Remedy and he said before you start this company I want you to do your research to see if there's a company like like yours already out there and if there is I want you to contemplate and think do you really need to start yours or should you connect with them and maybe help serve their company for a few years or instead of just jumping out there and so then... like
0: collaboration rather than competition oh
1: that's good that's I her def- next book i
0: definitely heard that from someone else that is <laughs> that is not me so you remedy network started like we said earlier remedy network started with mental health storytelling you have kind of pivoted but it is rooted in storytelling yeah and you are actually about to go on tour
1: we are. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. Yes, Culture Convos Tour 2020 is coming. Um,
0: so Caleb Perkins coming to a city near you.
1: To a city near you.
0: I always wanted to say Idaho. that. I don't know. So t- 20 cities. And what is the conversation going to be about?
1: The conversation will be cultivated around mental health, prison reform, and racial reconciliation. That
0: is so interesting. Neat. I was just having this conversation this morning. I was just talking to someone who is doing incredible work in healthcare. We're going to have her on in a future episode. And we were talking about how healthcare and mental healthcare (laughs) is not just about actually providing care, but it's also about systems change. So if you're coming out of prison, like Khalif was, having that social network that can support you coming out, or, you know, just it's not just about practitioners having you sit in a room. It's about addressing these other components. So you so this is to say to everyone who's listening like if you are passionate about prison reform, yeah. or you're passionate about the environment, there's so many different ways that you can support that cause. You don't have to become an environmentalist or a researcher or a scientist, even if you're good at social media, like we need you in those areas. The thing that you love to do Please come and support the, the issue and the cause that you're passionate about. If you're really good yes. on TV, then come and speak about criminal justice reform and come and speak about mental health. You know, you don't have to have letters behind your name to come be Come on.
1: Say <laughs> it louder effective. for the people in the back. <laughs> I feel like that's one of my strengths, actually, is to be a facilitator. I don't know a lot of things about prison reform. I know some things about mental health and I'm learning about racial reconciliation, but that doesn't mean that I cannot rally people around that cause and rally influencers around that cause and get those people together in one room so we can all learn together. Like a lot of people ask me, like, how do you do all these events on all this different stuff? And I'm like, I'm a facilitator. And I think if, you know, what you just said to your point, we cannot disqualify ourselves from purpose or to what we feel like that we're passionate about because of lack of experience. If we want to do something, we should go ahead and and rally around that cause. And we we can learn along the way. I'm not saying you should just jump out there and have no idea what you're doing. I mean, I'm reading books and I'm talking with influencers on the ground and, you know, people that are doing the work and surrounding myself with them. So I'm not just talking outside of my head. But, you know, I think that's important.
0: Yeah, I was speaking at the United Nations International School and I spoke after Ambassador Samantha Powers and was freaking out a little bit because I was like, I do not deserve to be on this stage. Someone don't give me that cup of coffee. (laughs) And she said this really important thing. She said, you know, you don't have to go abroad to be part of the change, but also if you want to be part of the change, go see and do you know, don't wow. sit from the couch and watch a documentary. Go and talk to those people on the ground like you're like you're speaking to you as a facilitator. Really meet the people so that you're not projecting an assumption yeah. for a solution, but you're Ooh. having that come from the people who I think really are already empowered to know what they need for their community, but mm. maybe lacking the skills or the resources. So again, if you're good at things like Just random stuff. You love playing the piano. Come to a fundraiser and support that.
1: That's so good. So practical, too. Yeah. I feel like community organizing is the threads that will continue to catapult the ambition of our generation. I feel like... (laughs) That is so
0: brilliant. That is such wisdom. That's such wisdom. And I love that you're so passionate about young people.
1: Thank you. Because
0: I think that... You know, there is such a um there is such an image of millennials and you know generation X Y Z. I don't mm-hmm. even know what it's called all anymore. Those. Yeah, all of those that is not so great, but I think young people are really diving into want to make change like we like we saw with um climate change recently.
1: Definitely. Yes.
0: Where can people find find you? How can we support you? Thank you so much for sharing your story. I have loved personally as your friend just to see your journey is so inspiring. Um, for me, and it's something I really aspire to.
1: People can find me on uh, RemedyNetwork.com. I'm writing a new book that's coming out soon, probably in the next year or two. But it's kind of around this conversation. If you can't tell, I'm really passionate about how millennials view leadership in our world and just more about community organizing and how we can change the game and change the narrative with just grassroots cause. Yeah. <laughs> One
0: more time for the for the audience. What was the tagline that really guides you? Again, I just want to go out with that because I I loved it.
1: Of course, that which saddens you the most is what you're designed to solve, and that which angers you the most is what you're designed to fix. Go for it.
0: Amazing, amazing. Uh-huh. You also look great, by the way, today. Oh, thank you. You can see it in the video if you watch the video, but he's wearing like this fantastic blue button-down, and uh, he, yeah. really sh- he shows up when he comes in the room. But thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. I That's loved having there. you. Can't wait to have you back.
1: Thank you. Thank you, guys.
0: I'm Jessica Minhas, and thanks for joining us on I'll Go First. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Our mission is to uplift and support you in your journey of healing. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, comment, and share. And if there's a topic you'd like us to dive deeper into or would like to share your story with us, we are available on all major platforms at Algo First and www.algofirst.com. We'll see you next time.